I'd like to uh, welcome Jake to the stage as he gives his testimony. Good morning, New Life. Good morning. God is good. All the time. That's the second time I've done that, and I don't think I could ever get tired of it. That is amazing. Um, W.H. Auden once said that being a professor is someone who talks in someone else's sleep. And I think Pastor John once said that preaching is the art of, of talking in someone else's sleep. But I'm not giving a lesson or a sermon, so I should be okay. <laughs> However, just in case, I did some research. In other words, I did a Google search when I was thinking about telling this joke. And it takes the average person seven minutes to fall asleep. And I wasn't planning on going that long, so I should be okay. <laughs> when Seth pretty much forced me to give a testimony, I really didn't know what I wanted to talk about. Uh, but as it weighed heavy on my heart and on my mind over the past few weeks, uh, I realized that I should just talk about what, what has been going on in my mind and in my heart uh, throughout this past year. In school over the past few months, uh, in my English class, we have been studying existential thinkers. Existential is just really a word, like a big fancy word for depressed and hopeless. <laughs> so we've been basically reading the works of people who ironically found meaning in life by making it a profession to tell other people that life is meaningless. <laughs> Although existentialism is technically a modernist movement, it's no shocker, but people have been depressed all throughout history. One example is the Greeks, who have a story of a man named Sisyphus. Now, Sisyphus was a character who was doomed to push a rock up a hill for eternity. And each time he almost made it to the top, the hill would become too steep, the boulder too heavy, and he would lose his footing and watch the rock roll all the way back down to the bottom. Every day and every night, he pushed the rock up the hill until he could not push it any longer and then had to suffer watching that rock roll down the hill. And somehow, he was able to find purpose in his work. How? Before I answer that, let me explain how any of this even applies to my life. As my parents can attest, I sometimes struggle to wake up in the mornings for school. Many mornings I have a mini existential crisis. In bed, a great debate occurs in my head. The subject of question being, why should I go to school? Most mornings, I am able to come up with at least one reasonable answer for why it is important for me to get up and go to school. I'm sorry, my ringer is on. That's actually someone asking me about an assignment for school. But sometimes I come up empty. Sometimes I don't want to push this boulder that is school up the hill every week just to watch it fall back down on the weekend and have to pick it back up on Monday. I've brought this up in youth, uh, youth group and guys group several times, asking for motivation 
like prayer for motivation for school, but nothing's really changed. I haven't, I haven't actively seeked out change in that regard. Many times I think, but everyone hates school. It's all right. I'll get through it. Soon I'll be on my own. I'll be able to pick a career path that I enjoy. Wake up every morning excited to go to work. Everyone who laughed right now said, just knows that that's not exactly true. I, I know many people who don't find fulfillment in their work. And it's a struggle for them each morning to get out of bed and go to their job. That's a little bit scary for me. I don't want to live an unfulfilled life. I want my life to have purpose. We as humans all want our lives to have purpose. And... I, I, I was talking about this in small group the other, the other week at youth group, and the response I got gave me a, a new perspective on life. Going back to Sisyphus quickly, there's a branch under existentialism which, like all the other branches, says that life is meaningless. But this branch says, so you might as well have fun. You might as well live your life however you want and enjoy it while it lasts. This, I presume, is where YOLO comes from. However, the answer that one of my mentors, Ben Guy, gave me at youth group the other day, he's a very insightful man, very wise, was quite the contrary. He argued that you cannot find purpose in just this life. If you try to look for your, your definition for existence through worldly things, you're just going to come up disappointed no matter what. I could have my dream job. I could really be excited to go to work every day. That doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be living a life fulfilled. Plenty of rich and famous people, athletes, jobs that I would, I would kill to have, they live lives unfulfilled. And what Ben was telling me was that the only way to truly find purpose is to look for it in God. To find your meaning each day by putting your hope in God and and doing, doing what, you, what's, what he would see fit. So as, 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 as good as that plan sounds, it brings up questions, for me at least. And, and I think one of the biggest questions that I'll leave you here with today is, what does that necessarily mean? What does it look like to put your hope in God each day and look, for him, look to him for your meaning? How is that practically exercised on a daily basis? I don't think this is an easy question, and I don't think there is a simple answer. I, I fully expect to struggle with this question for years to come as I search for myself, as I go off on my own. But I do have something that those existentialists don't have. I have hope. Hope that God will work through me and lead me to live a life fulfilled Hope for meaning as I push this boulder up the hill. As I come to a close, I encourage everyone here to examine how you put your hope in God each and every day. Thank you for your time. God bless. Also, Jeffrey, you have two minutes before they fall asleep.
my name is Jeffrey Ulysses, and uh, I've been coming to this church for a very long time. And uh, so um, throughout March, a lot of people have been coming to our YouTube and giving their testimony to us. And throughout that time, I wondered if I were to give a testimony, what would it be like? Uh, to be fair, I did give a testimony a while back, but um, back then I was a lot younger and I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, today, I'm still young and I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but, but I have a bit of a more insight as to what I was wanting to talk about today. So um, my story goes back about five years ago, give or take. So I was about 11 and um, I was extremely depressed little child. Uh, I didn't have much friends, and I was much less handsome. Uh, <laughs> I was basically that one kid who always sat by himself at lunch time and had no friends to play with at recess. Um, I was quite the sad sack. So, um, and, and things didn't get much better for a very long time. In fact, things got a whole lot worse. See, when I got home from being at school and being that sad kid, uh, I was greeted by my um, loving family—sorry, um, <clears throat> that was a typo. Um, I was greeted by my extremely dysfunctional and disconnected family. Um, my dad was always at work, so me and him never really had that father-son connection like most people have. And uh, my mother was never really inside the picture. And my brothers, well, we didn't really even acknowledge each other at most times unless we were, well, throwing fists at each other because we fought like almost every other day. So needless to say, uh, life wasn't the best no matter where I was. But um, so, and to top that off, I also had, was very, I was struggling with my faith a whole lot. And I um, tried to bring down people with me as well. See, um, I've been told that I'm quite a man of controversy when it comes to asking questions about the Bible and stuff like that. And there was actually a reason for that. See. They, a lot of things out of the Bible didn't make logical sense to me because I looked at it through a scientific lens. So things like someone surviving being inside a fish mouth or someone being thrown into a den with lions and then taming those lions and then uh, someone building a boat carrying two of every single animal and then surviving through a flood that destroyed the entire world or something like Jesus Christ dying and then coming back to life after three days. Those stuff didn't click with me on a scientific level because I like to look at things through a logical lens. Um, so I asked a lot of provoking questions to a lot of different people, mostly to youth leaders and uh, my close friends. I asked them questions. But the reason why I asked those questions wasn't because I was searching for answers, but because I wanted to stump people. Because I was sad and I didn't, because life, because the Bible didn't logically make sense to me, I didn't want it to make logical sense to anyone else. Uh, I, this was actually, this was a terrible thing for me to do, but I don't regret doing it because when I did it, I wanted people to really think about why they follow the faith that they follow. So I'm going to leave, I'm going to tell you guys a question that I asked that hopefully you guys will come up, will be able to come up with an answer for yourself. So um, I asked, why are you Christian? And I know a lot of people, they, the answer would probably be like, because Jesus Christ died on the cross for me or because... Um, my family was Christian their entire lives, so I just followed this faith myself. But I don't feel like that's a meaningful answer. When I ask you that question, I want you to think about why do you, on a personal level, follow Jesus Christ? Now, normally, I didn't expect people to have answers to my questions. I normally just said it just to stump people. But um, there were some people that actually surprised me. 
Um, I was going to leave this person honest, uh, uh, Jacob already bring him out. Uh, ben Guy, he's a really uh, great mentor to me. Um, he was the first person that I really got to be able to talk to about this type of stuff. And after talking to him, um, I've been able to talk to a lot of more people and ask questions, not just to stump them, but actually to find answers to them. An analogy that he made to me a long time ago was that God is like, like life is like a two-dimensional uh, thing, like two-dimensional video game, say. And then God would be like a three-dimensional figure. It's not something that you could comprehend if you're 2D. Three-dimensional is something that is way beyond your understanding. That's basically what God is. So you can ask all these questions, but at the end of the day, no one can truly fully comprehend God. And at first it didn't click with me because I was a very logical thinker. And when I thought about God, I always wanted to, like, be able to understand him, be able to understand his motives and what he, why he does what he does. But that's something that you really can't do when it comes to God. So basically, throughout having a lot of talks with um, not only with Ben but a lot of youth leaders, I found out that God is he's just that awesome that he could define logic, that he can part the Red Sea, that he can build a, that he can help someone build a boat that can carry two animals, that two of every animals, that he basically breaks, he breaks, he breaks the law of science. And that really was, uh, it was a really eye opener for me. So, um, um, it took me a long time to really like get comfortable with this idea of that there's a God that, um, really breaks the breaks the laws of science and stuff like that but um i really come to terms with it and now i ask a lot of thought-provoking questions not because i want to stump people but because i want to find answers for myself and become close to god uh i don't want to take up too much more of your time but uh, i'd like to just talk to anyone else who had these type of problems that question god and well and have like that logic sometimes lo the bible doesn't make much logic to them I, ask you, I pray to you guys that y'all continue to ask your questions because even if you don't, like, even if you can't find the specific person that's going to answer that question, they're going to give you an answer. And sometimes the answer will surprise you. And if you continue to ask those questions, it's going to continue to build you up until one day you can find your own answers. And if not, then, of course, we all know that when we all die, we're all going to be able to talk to God ourselves and find these answers. So with that, I'll leave you guys. Thank you. Now I'd like to you guys to give a warm welcome hand to Sophie Trot. Uh, so I am surprised to find myself up here. I've been arguing with Seth about whether or not I was actually going to for two weeks, but um, he convinced me that I should share um, what I have here. So. I have a lot of ways in which um, I could share about my life, but I decided to talk about control. Um, so when I was like 10 or 11 years old, my parents told me that they were going to open our home up to foster children again. We'd previously adopted my brother Ben through foster care, so I was excited because my only experience with foster care had ever been a positive one, which ended well for us and well for Ben, and I have a great little brother now. And um, about two and a half years ago, my brother Aaron came to our family. I mean, our brother, my brother Jordan came to our family. Um, that was a while ago, and he was a baby, and I loved him. He was adorable. He was 
lovable, and he, he needed our family. He needed help. And um, I grew to love Jordan. My family grew to love Jordan. And two and a half years after he came to us, the judge overseeing his case told our family that he had to go back to his biological father and we would never see him again. And that was one of the most painful things that I'd ever had to deal with in my life. Um, I remember feeling angry at God. I remember feeling hurt, uh, confused, and just lost. And um, with my control problem, I felt lost because I was not in control of the situation, which I felt I had control of. And... My control isn't a good thing. I control what my siblings wear, what people eat, what people do, how they talk. I control every, I try to control every aspect of their life. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not good for me. It's not good for them, but, um, it's my way of trying to keep things the way I want them to be. Um, but when Jordan had to leave, I felt just this utter loss of control and, it was terrifying. I didn't know what to do. I didn't feel like I could help anybody. I get any help from anybody. And I didn't feel like there was anything I could do about it because I knew I couldn't. And um, I just wanted to fix it. And I couldn't fix it. Um, the day that Jordan left, I remember everybody in my family sitting in our living room just crying. And um, it was scary for me. I'd never really seen my dad cry before. I saw all my siblings crying, and I knew that somebody that we loved, we would, we would never see again. And I was so angry at God. I didn't understand why he would do something like that to my family. I, didn't, I thought we must have probably done something wrong. I, I didn't understand it. But um, I remember later that night, I went in the kitchen. It was my job to clean the kitchen. And I was trying not to cry because I felt like I couldn't cry and nobody could see me cry. And my mom, she came in the kitchen and she said, God's in control of everything, so you don't need to be, and it's okay to cry. And I'd always been taught that God was all-powerful and he was in control of everything, but I really didn't, I didn't fully understand that. I really thought I was in control of my life. And I felt like I needed to be in control of my life. Um, eventually, I've been able to move past the fact that Jordan went back. Obviously, it still causes me a lot of pain, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay now for the most part. But as I got older, even though I, my mom told me that about control, I, it didn't change the way I acted towards people. I still had a need to control everything in everybody's life, and it was really toxic to my relationship with my siblings. Um, I saw that they did not want my help with things because they knew that I would just take over what we did, and I didn't really know how to change it because my way of interacting with them was controlling them. I didn't know how else to interact with them. But accompanied by this as I got older was also anxiety, and when something spiraled out of control, I'd experience extreme anxiety over it. And I would, I would lose it, kind of. Um, uh, I would wake up some nights with awful anxiety attacks. I wouldn't be able to sleep just because I was thinking about all the things in my life that I needed to control, I needed to do, I needed to fix. Um, and it made me a, a, an anxious, nervous person all the time. And it was a really, it's a really painful way to live life. And um, 
So when my parents told us that they'd opened our home up again to foster care two, three years ago, I was, I was so mad. I was scared because uh, my last experience with it, our family's last experience with it had been losing somebody that we'd loved, pouring love into somebody that just left and we'd never seen again. And I didn't understand why my parents would do that when it could just end in pain. And I was, I was mad, I was really mad. Um, I talked to my younger sister about it, and she she was scared, but her rea her initial reaction was, God's going to help us, so it's going to be all right. But her reaction just made me angrier, because I didn't think God could help us, because if he could have, then why didn't he the first time? Why did Jordan have to go home? What did we do to make him go home? Why, um, why did God take somebody that we all loved away? So my resolution was, okay, whatever foster kid comes to us, I'm not going to care about them. I'm going to not become attached. I'm going to distance myself from them because if I don't care about them, then it won't matter if they go home. Um, God decided that he didn't like that plan and that he was going to make me become attached to this kid. But in the beginning, when Aaron, my foster brother that's with us now, came to us, I, I treated him I treated him wrongly. I was harsher on him than all my other siblings. I was unkind to him at times. I pushed all my anger at God onto a five-year-old little kid who needed our help. And my dad um, said to me, he said, like, I understand why you're mad, but the way you're behaving, it's like, it's not, it's not fair to him and it's selfish because he didn't do anything to you and you're, you're angry at God, but you have to give God this control of the situation. There was control again, and I was still trying to control the situation, and it was just hurting everybody around me. So eventually I became, I grew to love Aaron, and he's still with us right now. And sometimes I, I get scared, I'm really scared that he's going to have to go back, because if he went back, that would be so painful for me and for him and for my whole family. But... Ultimately, I'm trying to learn that I need to give God the situation and trust him that he knows what he's doing and he doesn't need my advice because <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing and he does. And that's scary for me and I still have a lot of anxiety about it, but I'm working on letting God become more in control of my life. How y'all doing? Better than you. has nothing to do with my testimony, but when I was in high school, I took public speaking classes because I didn't know how to talk to people. That was a big problem with me. So my teacher said for Black History Month, you're going to pick somebody who you never heard of before, and you're going to write a two-page essay on them. So that's what we did. Then they said, memorize the whole thing. So we did. Then they said, now you're going to speak in front of an entire group of people. I said, all right, that's fine. Day comes, 
we leave the school. I'm confused because all the students are in the school. Why are we leaving? They walk us around the corner to CCP. They put us in the auditorium and they fill the entire thing up. Students, staffs, parents, everything. Then they said, all right, good. Everybody out there, one at a time. My turn came up and so crowded. Didn't know what to do. It was my first time speaking in front of a whole bunch of people. And I went out there and there was a spotlight right in front of me. And I told myself, Jerry, you got this. You can do this. I opened my mouth and I started to cry. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I could not do it. Walked off stage. Uh, I've been up here for a couple seconds now and I haven't cried yet, so I think I'll be good. <laughs> All right. Now, <laughs> I'm going to read a part of a scripture. Hebrews 12, part of 5, part of 6. It says, My son... Do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now, that's about as formal as this testimony is going to get, okay? I don't read that Bible. The Bible I read is called Word on the Street, and it translates it so much better. My Bible <laughs> says, treat these hassles like a good workout. God, just being a dad... Every son knows how dads try and knock off our rough edges. If he doesn't bother you, and they all do, then maybe you're not his. Exactly, it's rough. But my life is just a constant reminder that he chastens the ones that he loves. So, uh, that's the best place to start would be the beginning. So I was born, and I was born in Virginia Beach. with I had two sisters at the time. Uh, I was six months old, and my parents decided that they were going to split up me and my sisters. I went to go live with my grandmother, uh, right around the corner from here, and my two sisters went to go live with my dad over in Collingswood, New Jersey. Now, my grandmother, her mother, everyone up were all born in Japan, so imagine my excitement when I saw that flag when I came in. Um, but when she got here, she didn't know any English at all. and. She said that she taught herself English by watching TV. That was the only way she knew. And um, I recently found out that she had a conversation with one of my family members, and they asked her, like, how, how did you learn? Like, you just watch TV? Really? That's it? She goes, yeah, I found this one channel where this guy was screaming, so I could hear the words clearly. And she goes, oh, well, what, what was it? And she goes, it was Bishop T.D. Jakes. And... <laughs> And that's how she found Christianity. This guy was just screaming at her and taught her English. So there we go. I, on the other hand, was not so adamant about Christianity. She never really pushed it on me. She was just more so, hey, if you don't want to be a Christian, don't. But, you know, you live in my house, so we serve the Lord here. So if you want to be a Muslim, go be a Muslim on the porch, because we're not doing it in the house. <laughs> said, all right, that's fine, I guess kind of hurts, but all right. So every now and again, I'd come inside, and she'd be watching Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or uh, Joyce Myers. She hated Joyce Myers, but she said, it's the word of God, so I'll put up with her for him. <laughs> and I would sit down sometimes, and I'm like, nah, I guess I can listen. Two minutes later, I'm bored out of my mind, so I just go upstairs. And for some reason, it stuck with me. Like, just the little bit of stuff that I heard, it stuck with me. But 
I wasn't, like, believing in God. It was just, I knew some stuff. It's good enough for me. I don't care. So, I was bullied a lot in school. I went to mathematics, civics, and sciences charter school. I know none of you have heard of this place, but oh well. It's on Broad and Spring Garden. It's right across the street from the school district. So we didn't get written up. We didn't get scolded. If we got in trouble, they made us walk across the street and talk to the superintendent. I was an A and B student for that exact reason. I did not want to talk to that guy. So being bullied a lot, it was rough at the time. And everyone would go out during the weekends and they'd come back and They'd be like, oh, we did this, we did this. Trey, what about you? I'm like, oh, did you see that new episode of Pokemon? Because that was, that was pretty awesome. And it got to the point where I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. I, uh, I trust my grandmother. She believes in God. I'll give it a try. And she told me, if you're going to pray, you know, just talk to him like he's one of your friends. I, I don't talk to my friends politely. <laughs> There's not going to be a time where you're going to see me talking to one of my friends, and I go, hey, my spiritual brother in Christ, please come over here. And, no. So, I prayed to God like he was a friend. Yo, G, what's up? How you doing? So we got a little bit of an issue down here. Uh, they all doing stuff, and I'm sitting here watching Pokemon. We got to do something about that. Okay? All right, I'll talk to you later. Oh, wait, amen. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So... I prayed for a little bit, didn't really get any results. Just, screw it. I don't care. Yes, I do. Hey, make me attractive. Come on. Let's make this happen. Nothing? All right, do your thing. Whatever. So then puberty hits. Ouch. I look in the mirror one day. Hey, OG, this is literally the opposite of what I asked for. What is happening? A couple months later, I turned into a stud muffin, but hey. <laughs> so that's when everything went downhill <laughs> that's when everything went downhill uh, <laughs> I started hanging out with people uh, I actually started talking to people not because it's public speaking might I add and met this one girl we started talking started hanging out everything was fine 2012, she got pregnant, and uh, when was it? June, June 22nd, 2013, my grandmother passed away. Now, of course, that tore me up. She was my mother, my father, aunt, uncle, everything you possibly imagine. And I was coming here sporadically at the time uh, for the youth group, and she never got a chance to meet my son. Uh, so he was born in August, August 13th, 2013. And a lot of things happened uh, that led up to me being arrested on multiple occasions for things that I didn't do. Uh, I was falsely accused on three different occasions, got sent to jail all three times. And in jail, you don't really have much to do. I mean, you're behind bars. What else can you do? You know? They have books, chess. One of the books I had was the Bible. And I said, hey, screw it. She's gone, but I still trust her. I'll read it. Read it, didn't like it. Still kept reading it, though. Didn't know why. 
in a church every day and the guard would be at the front gate and he would scream, church going out. If you weren't one of, on some days, if you weren't one of the first five, ten people, you couldn't go. Oh well. So there's this guy on my cell block and his name is Chris. He had a Bible study in his cell whenever they limited the amount of people that could go. So for some reason I started going. I can't tell you why to this day. I was just like, I'm going to do it. Sure, let's go. So we did it. And we prayed every day. We spent so much time just fellowshipping together. And then I got out. I forgot all about it. Life went downhill again. Um, and then I, after youth group, I started coming to young adults. And it was around that time where it actually started to stick. I actually started to realize, like, talking to Sue and Pete and Seth and Tim, it's like, Everything that happened, from my parents leaving, to my grandmother passing, to my son being born, to getting arrested on three different occasions, it all led up to, right now, me standing up here in front of all of you. I knew so much about the Bible, but I didn't actually believe it. And it took all of that to like help God bring me closer to him. Through all of that suffering, through everything that happened, every single bit of pain that I had to go through brought me closer to God. And I kept asking him over and over again when I was in school, hey, I want this because they have this. I want that because they have that. And me and Sue call it the Israel curse because Israel prayed. And they were like, hey, they got a king. We want a king. And God was like, you don't need a king. And they said, oh, okay. I, I understand. But you see how they have a king, though, right? I'm just saying. Like, they have, no? Okay. But you do see how do we need, no? Uh, but they, okay. And God just said, you know what? Forget it. You want a king? Take a king. We all know what happened. They did not want the king. The next prayer was, God, take the king back. And he goes, no, you wanted the king, remember? They had a king. Now you wanted a king. I gave you the king. Make me attractive. No, you got me. Okay. But you see how good looking they, I'm just, no, okay. Now I'm sitting here like, take it back, because I don't want to go back to jail. I'm too pretty. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I can't. But it, it's, it's the fact that now I'm recognizing that. It's the fact that I'm recognizing that this is what God has done. This is what he's still doing. It, he chastises the ones that he loves. I got sent to jail because he loves me doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sorry, it doesn't. It, I, he could say he loves me by, you know, I almost got hit by a car, but at least I'm not in jail. You know, that's something. That's something. But I guess he needed to reach me in a different way. And for anyone who's, I don't, I don't know what you guys are going through, but if it's really that hard for you, if it's really this bad of a situation, he's doing it because he loves you. He wants to bring you closer to him. And it takes a lot to realize that. You don't really see it throughout the pain and suffering. But lately, I, I've told myself that I have to thank God more. And instead of saying, you know, thank God, I always say, thank you, God. So I acknowledge the fact that he is here. I acknowledge the fact that he's working in my life. It's, it's powerful. It really is to know that 
from me being left by my parents. Something that big, something that painful. Just that one thing brings me closer to God, and it, it's strong. It's really, really strong. It, it lets me know that I'm not alone. Even though I'm hurting, he's still here. He's watching my back. There's footprints in the sand. It's, it's crazy. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going off on a rant, but it's, it's just strong for me. So um, that's my time. Thank you guys for listening. Um, don't clap yet. Please don't. I get it. I'm awesome. But I, I, I went to a couple of the uh, Youth Sunday practices with Ben Guy and all the, all of the kids. And they really worked hard. They did. Ben is really patient. The kids, they learn really quickly. They pick up, they pick up on so much stuff. And it, it's amazing to see their first practice and then actually hear them today. So don't clap for me when I get off. Just please clap for them. Please, because they are great. They are really, really great. They are really great. And with that, I'm going to invite them back up on stage for one last song. Thank you, guys. I said, don't clap for me.